Welcome to the South Canadian Valley Church of Christ podcast. Please enjoy the following study. Welcome to our guests, uh, those that decided to worship with us. We know that you have uh, plenty of choices, and thank you for worshiping with us. Those that are joining us online, uh, thank you as well for worshiping uh, with us. And Corbin, I'd like to thank you for that, that reading. So I guess the cat's out of bag. You probably know what we're going to be talking about uh, today. And with it being Easter and all, I wonder how much do you know about Easter? According to the softschools.com, Easter is a Christian holiday. And then I was thinking, okay, uh, duh. But then... To give me more of an appreciation for that, I thought about Halloween. And I'm like, okay, I kind of get how this one's ours uh, in contrast. And during this holiday, we celebrate Jesus Christ. I like how he's out front on this one. No Santa Claus. or I mean, there's an Easter bunny trying to come in there, but this is all about Christ today. And him being crucified And hopefully you had a good Friday. I had a very busy Friday, but it was still good Friday. And that brings us to our lesson uh, topic today. And we're going to really get into the resurrection and primarily why why it's important. Try to get you to think about some of the finer aspects of it that maybe uh, hadn't come to mind earlier. Now, the Greek word for resurrection is anastasis, which means a standing up again, a resurrection from the dead, or a recovery raised to life again. I think just that by itself kind of brings me some peace. Just think about that. That almost means you're invincible. I mean, because whatever happens, you're still coming back through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Now, I like in that definition and and with that reading that Corbin gave us, that, that kind of defined the resurrection. Christ just kind of wraps it up and says, I am the resurrection and the life. And we're going to get more uh, into that. I am the resurrection and the life, and he who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Now, that die part is, is there, and, and we're going to cover that. It kinda, it's kind of like the, how the Halloween makes you appreciate Easter, where the death makes you appreciate the life. You have to see it in, in context. So in John chapter 11, uh, we have proof of Jesus's power over death, where he brings Lazarus back from the dead. In John chapter 11, in verse one, we find now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. When Jesus heard that he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified in it. 
Now, you're going to see that Jesus has a better idea of Lazarus' health than those that are right next to him. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. And I was just wondering about what's the significance? What's the significance of that? But I was just wondering if we put that in perspective. If we buried somebody, left the cemetery, waited four days, then went back. I think by all clinical definitions, that person would be dead, I think. See, because when I was doing some research on death, it's a whole bunch of different definitions for it. All kinds of criteria that are kind of wavery. But I'm thinking after four days, all those have been met. He gave it enough time. He was like, okay, it's been two days, but I'm going to throw another two on top of that just to make sure that this is beyond the realm of man, that the AED can't bring you back, that we're beyond everything that man has done. And then I was thinking, well, maybe it's far away, but it says, no, it's, it's, it's not all that far away because it was just uh, two miles, it said. It was only two miles away. In verse 18, now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had joined the woman around the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Now Martha, as soon as she had heard Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Now I was trying to think of how powerful that is, what she just said. So what I'm getting from that is she believes that his mere presence would have warded off death. That's belief uh, right there. But we're going to get further than just belief. We go on to see that Martha said to him, I know, actually in 22, in, in verse 22 it says, but even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. I want to really focus on the I know. See, because we have initially I heard, I believe, I know. And maybe you can't appreciate I know. Like, let's just say you hadn't experienced fire before, but you've been reading about it. Been reading about fire. All the different things. So you have in your mind what you think fire is. But if I take your hand and we touch fire, you have a whole different appreciation for what fire is. See, because in doing, that's where you actually get to know. But we see here that for sure Martha definitely believes and she says she knows. Now, in some of the other faiths, they don't necessarily focus on knowing. They focus on feeling. I feel. And you hear some people when they're arguing and making a point, they'll say, well, I feel this way. I feel. But that's not what we're dealing in. We're dealing in what you know and what she knows. 
Now, in verse 23, it says, Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. So she's hearing that. And in verse 24 here, Martha says to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. So we see more of her faith because she not only believes that his mere presence could ward off death, but she says here that she believes in the resurrection and that she's aware of that. Now, in verse 25, Jesus says to her, and we kind of covered this briefly already. Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is to come in the world. Now, when she said that, it kind of struck a chord with me because I've been I've witnessed a number of baptisms where there's a confession that's made. And it kind of sounds like what she said here, that we believe that Jesus is the son of God and that God raised him from the dead. So I was wondering if there was any other similarities or likenesses, if you will, with the baptism. Now, in Romans chapter six and verse one, it talks to us about being dead to sin and alive to God. So let's see if there's some parallels. Romans chapter six, beginning in verse one. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How can we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death, therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Jesus Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also shall walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. So I see a strong, strong parallel, strong likeness here. New life, old man dying and us being the new man. Verse 7. Now he who had, has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ has been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Strong parallels to me, very strong. Now, this uh, this passage was kind of brought to my attention, and I really it kind of put in perspective 
Jesus Christ and death. Once upon a time, death was considered like a big bad boogeyman in a way to some people. But once Jesus came along, he put death in his place. And that's what we that's what we see here. And then he's also given that power to us with us being resurrected. But we see here in Hebrews chapter two and verse 14. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of the flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Now, I hope I'm not oversimplifying this, but in my mind, it it almost reduced death to me to like an Uber ride. It shrunk him down so small in my mind because he was this big, bad boogeyman at one time. But then he's just a he's just transporting us. He's just a vehicle to our eternal life. We just go through that door. So. He's not so scary after all. Um, But once again, that might be oversimplifying. But for sure, Jesus definitely, I think without question, put death in its place. We see that right here. All right, back to our regular schedule program with Lazarus. John chapter 11, verse 38. Then Jesus, again, groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench. For he's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did you not? Did I not say to you that if you would believe you would see the glory of God. Now, I don't know if you can really appreciate what Jesus is saying here. I was just wondering. Now, he said, take away the stone. Now, generally, when I go to the cemetery, it's not a stone or anything there, but they might be in a vault. Um, so basically, he's saying, go ahead and open the, open the vault. Now, I'd like you to think about that for a minute. How much faith would it take to go ahead and act on what he said? I think a lot of us would have some doubt about that. I mean, we see some of that expressed here saying, hey, there's a stench. It seems like there's a little bit of hesitation, a little bit of pushback. Just the same person who said, I know, I know, I know. But she's saying, I also know that it may be a stench. And maybe she's just giving him a warning. But I'm wondering, did he not already know that? Did he not already know Does she know who she's talking to? And some of the terminology we put on this, I looked it up, uh, exhume. Now, generally, when we exhume the body and bring the body back, it's so that we can examine it to see, hey, did some foul play take place? Something along those lines. So it took some faith if, in fact, she's going to act on what he asked her to do. Verse 41. Then they took away the stone. From the place where the dead man was lying and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you. That you've heard me. 
And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who were standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. I'd like to draw your attention back to now we see Jesus using the terminology, I know. In contrast to, I think, I believe, I feel like, it might. He's talking in absolute certainty. I know. Back to that example I gave you with the fire. Once you touch that fire, there are some things that you learn from touching it versus reading about it. Now you know. Continuing on, verse 43. Now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Now I have heard that he had to put Lazarus' name in there because everybody possibly would have come forth. Lazarus, come forth. And he who died came outbound, hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Loose him, let him go. Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen these things Jesus did, they believed in him. Do you believe him? Do you believe in him? Why all the hoopla about the resurrection? Why is this such a big deal? Well, hopefully we get into that. Well, it all started right here. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 16, we find, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall die. You shall die. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, I'm going to just stop right there. Because I want you to look at his strategy of deception. First, he's starting off by questioning what God has said. How often do we do that. Question what God has said, what we know to be true. Like, did he really mean that? Was he was he serious? Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees in the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat of it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you won't surely die. God was mistaken. Maybe he misspoke. Maybe he didn't get it. I wonder how many times do we fall into this same, fall for this same trap. Verse five, he goes on to explain, for God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. 
So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was pleasant to the eyes and the tree desirable to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. Now, God said, surely die. Now, I'm trying to think if there's anybody who doesn't need to put surely on anything, I think he can just say whatever it is. Yay is yay, nay is nay. But for him to put surely on it, that means a little something extra. A little something extra. To me, it does. So let's see how this unfolds, because this is the beginning of it, of why the resurrection is important. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through the sin, through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sin. Now, some people would say right there, that's not fair. I wasn't in the garden. And if I was there, I wouldn't have. I know what God said. So that would be some people's position on that. Say, hey, it's not fair. But I'm like, well, hold your horses. Don't, don't play the card yet. Because this card's going to come in handy. Like if you play spades, you want to hold your spades. Don't play it right now. Wait, wait. Romans chapter 5, verse 13. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin was not imputed when there was no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. Even over those who had not sinned, according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him to come. And I don't know. I know those that are joining us online. Maybe they can't see, but I have a flat line there. That's, that's usually one of the measurements or criteria that they use to determine if life is gone, if life has left the body, they're looking at to see if that line, if there's any bumps in that line at any point. So because of Adam's actions, flat line, all of us. But there's good news. That's what today is all about. Now in Romans Chapter 5 and verse 15, it says, but the free gift is not like the offense. For if by one man's offense, many died, much more the grace of God and the gift. By the grace of one man, Jesus Christ abound to many. Just backing up to what I said earlier. So if by one man we're all condemned, then that same rule holds true that by this other man, we can have grace and mercy. So that's why I was saying not so fast. Let's use that same rule so we can be freed the same way we were put in bondage. Romans chapter 5, verse 16. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation, but the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive 
abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Something that kind of stood out to me that it says those who receive. So although it's a gift, it doesn't mean that everybody's going to receive. Sometimes people reject a gift for whatever reason. Maybe it's too small. Maybe the wrapping paper wasn't good. Maybe it's a day after my birthday or it's too late, too early. So just because the gift is there, not everybody's going to receive that. So keep that in mind. So we have a role to play as well to receive the gift. Verse 18, Romans 5. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. The question I have for you is, will you receive the gift? It's a free gift. So I'm trying to think, okay, uh, been freed from the condemnation. I'm thinking that's a blessing. That's good enough by itself. If I got no other gifts, that's the only one. I would still be good with it, but there's more. There's more. In Galatians, it tells us that we're going to be sons and heirs. So I'm thinking just the gift and just getting in there and, and not perishing is good. That's good by itself, but we're going to add this on top. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 1. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave. Though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time has come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoptions, the adoption as sons. I don't know if you can really appreciate that. Let me try to help you, though. Let's just say. I don't know what your heritage or what family you're in, but let's just say you find out that you're part of this royal family. And there's all of this inheritance that you're now entitled to. Well, that's actually true. That's what I'm talking about here. But not just temporary treasure, eternal. That's what you're an heir to. That's who you're a son to. I don't, I don't really think it gets better than this. I mean, do you? I mean, it's, it's like cake and, what do they say, have your cake and eat it too? I mean, it's, it's all of that. That's what it seems like to me. Now, for some people, though, this might seem too good to be true. Too good to be true. So Paul considers this skeptic's uh, point of view in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15. Now, I don't know how many of you have done any like scientific research, but whenever we're trying to disprove something, they have something they call a null hypothesis, null hypothesis, where we're trying to prove what's not true first, making sure that there's nothing significant, there's no cure, 
This didn't work. So that's the approach that Paul takes here initially. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse, chapter 15, beginning in verse 12. Now, if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, now how do some of some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. So he's adopting this not true hypothesis. We're just trying it on, just seeing if if that fits. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then for one, our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes. And we found we're found also to be false witnesses of God because we've testified of God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise. If, in fact, the dead do not rise. So if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. And you're still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And I think worst of all, it says. If in this life only we have hope in Christ. We of all men are most pitiful. We have the most miserable life. Now, to me. If we try that on, that's a lose lose because I don't see any I don't see any uh, bright side or silver lining to this approach. It says that the preaching is empty, that my faith is empty, that I'm still in my sins, that we're false witnesses. All those who died before us, they've perished. And our life is the worst of all. Hmm. I don't like that scenario. I don't like that null hypothesis. So let's look at the hypothesis. Let's see what we're proposing. This is the other position. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. Now, I don't know if you can appreciate that, but that kind of goes back to what I was saying before about holding your card. See, because we know going back to Genesis, when God says surely die, if, if there's any doubt in your mind, you can just pass by any cemetery. and You can see proof that that's in fact what he said, surely die. So. If that part's true, that means that the life part is true. You can't have one part false and the other part true. So having life through Jesus Christ and the resurrection, that means that has to be true. If the death part is true, the life part is true. Kind of goes back to that Halloween and Easter, right? One helps you appreciate the other. Now, like I said, <clears throat> there are some who think this is too good to be true. Cake and eat it too. We're, we're free lunch. There's no such thing as a free lunch. So you're going to have your skeptics. You're going to have your people who doubt. And amongst that group were the Sadducees. In Luke chapter 20, 
The Sadducees, they doubted that there was a resurrection. And they posed kind of a, a trap that they tried to set up for Jesus, saying, well, Moses said, if a man gets married, doesn't have children, his brothers are to raise children with the wife. So in the, if all the brothers die, all the brothers die, nobody has children with her, whose wife in heaven or in the resurrection will she be? Thinking they're going to trip him up. However, I like Jesus' response. <clears throat> and, and they pose that question. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife does she become? For all seven had her as wife. Jesus answered and said to them, the sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. And he goes on to let them know that in the resurrection, we don't do marriage. Marriage is not a part of that. We're going to be like the angels. So he goes on. And what that brought to my mind is if they really had done their homework, they would have used a better example to try to trip him up. That's what I'm thinking. They would have did a little more homework. Secondly, they try to use and quote Moses. But Jesus comes back and he he cites that. To ev to God, everyone is alive. He doesn't he's not the God of the dead, but of the living. But they they try to use Moses there. And then one of the, one of the things that really stood out to me is in Genesis chapter four, and verse eight, because I see another uh, area where this is played out. In Genesis chapter four and verse eight, we're all familiar with Cain and Abel, right? Now, Cain talked with his brother, Abel, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. And the Lord said, Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother Blood cries out to me from the ground. So even though a person has passed away, they're still alive to God. So God is not the God of the dead. Just because we're not here anymore doesn't mean that we're not. He, he doesn't have access to us. Now, the Sadducees weren't the only ones who had a little bit of trouble with that resurrection, understanding that even the disciples struggled with that when Jesus was explaining to them what was going to happen. And we see here in Luke chapter 24 and verse 10. It was Mary Magdalene, Jonah, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James and the other women with them. Who told these things to the apostles and their words seemed to them like idle tales that they did not believe them. When Jesus had risen from the dead. So the disciples here, they kind of struggled with that idea uh, as well. But in verse 12, Luke chapter 20, Luke chapter 24 and verse 12, it says, but Peter arose and ran to the tomb, stooped down, saw the linen cloth lying by itself, and he departed marveling to himself. What? had happened, that he had in fact rose from the dead. 
this is not an easy concept for many to uh, embrace. But if if there's death, there's life. And not just by any means. I like how Jesus makes it simple for us in John chapter 14, beginning in verse one. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. And where I go, you know. And the way, you know. Thomas says to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. We don't. And how can we know the way? Jesus says to him, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. In our world, it's a whole bunch of different faiths, whole bunch of different religions, all kinds of theories. But I like how complex all of that is. It sums it up right here that there's only one way, one truth. And if you were taking a test, there's only one right answer. Jesus is the only correct answer. We gave you that other scenario where it's all doom. Without Jesus, it's all it's all a wash. This is the only way. Jesus is the only way. So I pose this question to you. Will this just be another Easter for you? Or will this be the year that you confirm your calling and election and take part in the resurrection of life? Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you been buried with him through baptism into death? Have you been faithful in your Christian walk? Do you need the prayers of the church? If you're listening to us online, please reach out to our elders if you fall into one or more of those categories. And if you're here physically with us in the sanctuary, will you please come forward, have a seat on the front pew as we stand and sing Song of Invitation. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. For further information about our church, please go to normanchurch.com, normanchurch.com normanchurch.com